Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, and this week I'm starting a new mini-series. Uh, this is going to be released on Tuesdays for the next couple weeks. I'm going to be talking about eco-fascism and fascism and its relationship to the environment in general. This episode is going to be a sort of like primer introduction to this little mini-series uh, about what eco-fascism is and about, you know, just like theoretical concepts related to fascism and the environment. The next episode, which I'll release next week, is going to be about historical examples of fascist environmentalist policy and, you know, environmentalist thinking on the part of fascist organizations, uh, in particular countries that have been ruled by fascist groups, such as Nazi Germany or fascist Italy. And the coming episodes after that will be about more contemporary fascists and right-wingers and their relationship to the environment. I'm not going to be rehashing the many, many and extremely good write-ups and podcasts and understandings about the right-wing's climate denialism. Instead, these series are about right-wingers' attempts to take climate change, environmental change, seriously, but as a means toward their already right-wing politics. So I'm going to start out by talking about ecofascism. What is ecofascism? Now, the term originated as an insult to environmental policies and environmentalist movements, specifically those that are protective or restrictive. Uh, and the claim here was that ecofascism represented a restriction on human development and that these environmentalists, these ecologists, were fascists. Now, this is one of those false definitions of fascism, fascism as a pejorative, when people just say that anybody who's authoritarian or restrictive or mean or wrong is a fascist, when in fact fascism is a very particular ideology coming from the right wing, primarily in the modern Western world. Uh, if you're curious about a definition of fascism, check out one of the other episodes in this podcast, especially the special episode, What is Fascism? Then in the 1970s, 80s, and 90s, there was an academic turn to talk about how the extreme right wing dealt with and deals with the environment. Uh, one particular example of scholars who've paid attention to this are Janet Beale and Peter Staudenmeier, uh, who have looked at the environmentalist practices of the Nazi party. I'll be looking at their work in the next week's episode. So if we're talking about specifically fascist and extreme right wing perspectives, on the environment, on ecofascism, one potential answer is that ecofascism is just a a means to justify right wing politics. Right, it's just a, a dressing up of right wing politics in ecological or environmentalist terms. You know, just they're using it to justify something. Alternately, ecofascism could be an earnest belief system, uh, something that right wingers do sincerely believe, and they have a sort of like twisted somewhat environmentalist perspective on the world that justifies their right-wing politics, uh, often involving genocide or murder. This is a tension that's at the heart of a lot of understandings of the right-wing. You know, like, do these people actually believe this? Are they just, you know, quote, using this in order to justify some politics that they already had that was probably oppressive? In this episode, I am going to be taking the tack that I usually take personally as a scholar of fascism and the right wing to claim that probably a lot of these people do in fact believe at least some of this, you know, uh, to take the tack that there are true believers out there who really use ecofascism uh, as a justification for their fascism and their right wing politics. So many ecofascists are ethno-nationalists as are most fascists. You know, they, they are nationalist about a particular ethnic group, 
Usually when it comes to fascism, especially in the modern West, we are talking about white people, uh, that is people from Northern or Western Europe predominantly. And the idea is about, you know, a maintenance or preservation of nature or wilderness or some sort of like beauty, you know, some sort of like inherent national beauty within their borders particularly. Uh, this is somewhat related to the, you know, a more insidious question that's inherent to all nationalisms. Uh, the question about, like, what does it mean for a particular group of people to claim to own land? Uh, how does that square with histories of migration, of massive population movement, of colonization, of land pur purchases, of conquest, of um, genocide and extermination policies? Exactly what would it mean for a group of people to own or to be owed land? Uh, which is just a bigger question about nationalism and the environment in general. But if we look at the origins of ecofascist ideology, we're talking about, well, essentially the century where a lot of contemporary right-wing politics come from. We're talking about the 1800s, the 19th century. The colonialist approach to the environment uh, and the sort of white developmentalist approach to the environment uh, and about maintaining environmental purity or wilderness in order to cultivate powerful men, this is an inherent part of the origins of a lot of what we could today recognize as ecofascism and of fascism in general. Think the scouting movement, which was originally about preserving nature as a place for white boys to develop themselves into powerful, hale, and potentially violent men uh, for the interests of paramilitary organizations and military organizations. This was always an inherent part of right-wing ideology. Similarly, right-wing political parties and movements back in the 19th and early 20th centuries were all about fitness and, you know, maintaining healthy bodies and maintaining a healthy environment, or at least like what they understood as a healthy environment at the time, was a similar offshoot of this. Eugenicism was an inherent part of this ideology. The idea was that people needed to be controlled members and controlled participants in the environmental world. One example of a person who combined eugenicism and environmentalism was a person named Madison Grant, a white supremacist and conservationist, uh, who did a lot of work both in wilderness preservation and the development of the ideology of wilderness preservation, and also the policy of wilderness preservation, specifically in the United States. But he also lobbied among other things, uh, to massively restrict immigration to the United States, specifically by people who he did not understand to be white. Uh, he also lobbied to include a human being in the Bronx Zoo uh, to be displayed alongside chimpanzees and other primates. Uh, Madison Grant also helped found the Bronx Zoo uh, as a conservationist. Uh, so that's one of the original threads of ecofascism as a part of the original thrust of, you know, the idea of purity and manliness and power that is represented by, you know, big game hunting or surviving in the wilderness or the Boy Scouts. Today, however, ecofascism typically takes on a slightly different track. Uh, it's a little bit more uh, nihilistic. Uh, it's a little bit more destructive. So rather than being about the preservation of the environment, ecofascism, as it's expressed most of the time today by most people who are either openly ecofascist or who adopt these same policies and ideologies without using the words, instead, it's more about an idea that humanity has messed up the world 
or that the world has become sufficiently messed up to mean that our current civilization is incapable of surviving in it and that only a much more, well, uh, starkly evil, uh, I would call it, world and civilization can survive, uh, that we need to make, you know, sort of like tough choices about who can be in certain places and how many people there can be and what kinds of people should be allowed to exist. Now, one of the threads of this particular variant of ecofascism emerged in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it sort of sprung off of the right wing's just like love of metaphors that harken back to the Matrix, you know, the Matrix movie. So the idea is that humankind is the real virus, right? And that the environment is correcting the mistake of human overpopulation by killing a bunch of people. Uh, the ideology here is that certain people deserve to die, right? That's that's the inherent perspective here, is that certain people deserve to die. Who doesn't deserve to die? Well, it's primarily people who live in industrialized, urban, powerful Western societies. Uh, one particular eco-fascist uh, whose name is Pinti Linkola, uh, he's Finnish, is particularly associated with this perspective um, up until and including after his death uh, very recently in 2020. So on a more theoretical level, this is a potential result of thinking about human beings as just one animal like any other, right? Uh, this would interpret potential fascist activities such as genocide, mass extermination, mass population reorganization, enforced migration as a form of population control, such as that which is already practiced by human civilization on wildlife. Uh, it would reframe the moving of human populations in the same way as setting up an ecological preserve. Uh, these are the ways that these sorts of fascists talk about the environment and talk about human history and human civilization. And so their idea is that, you know, the earth only has a certain carrying capacity and that it's a sort of fight between civilizations about who will be able to get the resources that they need in order to survive. Uh, this is, in some senses, hearkening back to one of those original fascist ideas from the 1930s and 40s, the German concept of Lebensraum, that a civilization needs a certain amount of space in order to survive, and that the German civilization was simply fighting for that space with its rival civilizations, particularly Slavic peoples. So this ideology of um, fascism, this particular branch of ecofascism, featured heavily in a lot of the manifestos of some of the most recent fascist murderers. For example, the attacker in Christchurch in New Zealand who attacked mosques in Christchurch talked about how his country was full. You know, it didn't have the space for extra people, its environment was already taxed, and that these people were taking away from the natural resources that he and his people deserved and that they were uh, degrading the environment by uh, immigrating. The shooter in El Paso, Texas, who attacked a supermarket that was predominantly serving a Latino community, had a similar ideology. You know, his idea was that uh, Latinos were impacting the carrying capacity of the United States. This is a, you know, this is an environmentalist term, right? How many people can live in a certain place, you know, taken from the question of like, how many animals could live in a certain place. Uh, Anders Breivik, the murderer in Norway who attacked a youth camp run by a socialist party in that country, similarly had an eco-fascist ideology, uh, his, in his case pretty openly. Uh, he thought that the environment needed to be preserved by a culling 
the shooter in Buffalo very recently who attacked a black church similarly believed that the United States could only be saved by reducing the number of people in it and specifically reducing the people who he thought were the greatest burden on the environment, that is non-white people, when of course, in reality, it's extremely wealthy people, uh, especially wealthy, well-off people in the Western world, that is in North America and Europe, who are the biggest impact on the environment. There has been an explosion of interest in the subject of ecofascism, as these killers use their ideology as a justification for their murders, uh, and have suggested that many others might do so in the future. Here, there's an interesting confluence between one of the major strains on the right wing today, uh, which is climate denialism. So, you know, you see this from people like Jair Bolsonaro or Trump or Duterte, you know, saying that climate change isn't real or that if it is real, it's God's will. You know, it's not something that humans did or can really mess with. So we're seeing a confluence between that, you know, it's a confluence and a contrast between that sort of climate denialism and this right-wing embrace of climate change as a real existential threat. Uh, but rather than seeing that as something that means that, you know, humanity needs to come together in order to prevent the earth from being uninhabitable in the relatively near future, or, you know, to prevent the earth from being just like an extremely terrible place to live that will increase the amount of human suffering. Instead, they take climate change as the starting gun of a war of civilizations, and that it is the obligation of all civilizations, which they understand as being racially coded, as opposed to being, you know, culturally or historically constructed. So they think that all civilizations need to fight for the resources that they need to survive. And in some senses, that is, I think, uh, what you should come away from this podcast thinking about ecofascism, that it is an environmentalist frame, an earnest environmentalist frame on standard right-wing politics about civilizational conflict, about supremacism, particularly racial supremacism, about masculinity, about power. And that is how I'm going to be talking about ecofascism and fascism's relationship to the environment uh, for the remainder of this miniseries. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe. Please, you know, leave a review on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. If you really enjoyed the podcast, please check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 Minutes of Fascism. That's 15 Minutes of Fascism spelled out and all one word. You can also get in touch with me on Gmail at 15 Minutes of Fascism at gmail.com. Again, that's spelled out all one word. I'm also on Twitter at fascism15 and at hist of the right. That's H-I-S-T of the right. Okay, next week on Tuesday, I will be continuing with this miniseries talking about historical examples of fascism's relationship to the environment, fascist environmental policies. And then in the coming weeks, I will be talking about contemporary examples of eco-fascist ideology and policies. But don't worry, on Thursdays, I will continue as I have for, you know, the last year or so, giving a weekly update about fascist and right-wing politics the world over. All right. Thanks, and I'll talk to you soon.